Well, again, it's an incredible privilege to be able to proclaim God's word. I often have to pinch myself that uh, the Lord has, has given me this privilege that I get to study his word and spend time in his word and stew in his word and, uh, and then come and proclaim his word. It is, it is such a wonderful, wonderful privilege and I praise him for that. And um, We're starting a new series, a short series, just over the next few weeks uh, from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. So uh, verse 6 is a well-known verse, I'll just read it. I'm sure you know it once I start reading it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So today we're looking at Wonderful Counselor. So this series is, is going to be looking at the names of Christ from this verse. Uh, next, on Christmas Day, we will look at Mighty God. The day after, so next Sunday, we'll look at Everlasting Father, and then the Sunday after that, I think it's the 2nd of January, we'll be looking at uh, Jesus as the Prince of Peace. So um, it's more a topical series uh, as we study these different aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's uh, always wonderful to look to Christ. As you know, if you've been here for any period of time, you'll know that we hold strongly to Christ-centered preaching, and that one of the primary ways that we are changed is as we behold Christ. Um, we need to see him. We need our hearts to be changed. Uh, we can be told, given a lot of instructions, uh, but what is it that's going to drive us to obey them? We need to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the gospel. The gospel is not just for when you get saved. It is for the whole of the Christian life. Uh, Paul even says that to the Galatians, do you think that you can begin in the spirit and then be perfected in the flesh, sort of just by your own strength? No, Uh, the way we start is the way we run this whole race. And so it has been a blessing for me to to study this passage and to look at the different aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But let me read verses 1 to 7 from Isaiah chapter 9 so we do get the context And uh, uh, over the next few weeks, I'll unpack more of the context as it pertains to each uh, different name. So from verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, as we're going to focus on Jesus as wonderful counselor, uh, I think the first thing we need to note is that if uh, Jesus had to come as a wonderful counselor, it is an indictment upon the human race, isn't that right? Uh, if we need a wonderful counselor, if we need a counselor, it means we have serious problems that we are not able to, to solve. Uh, those of you who are parents, or maybe you're in some position of authority, you have people under you, and maybe there's issues, so that children are fighting, or uh, the, the people that you employ, there's a, there's a difficulty, there's a disagreement, there's issues. Um, uh, maybe you first try and say, hey guys, just, just try to sort it out yourselves. Um, you know, see if you can, can, can fix this. I don't want to get involved right now. Let's just see if you can fix it. Uh, and if you have children, you say, you know, try and, try and do the right thing. You know, try and share. Uh, sort it out. But uh, if you see, well, it's not, it's, it's not getting better. They're not sorting it out. It's getting worse. Eventually, you have to go and intervene yourself. Uh, they need your help. And that's really what the gospel is all about. It shows us that as human beings, we are not able to sort ourselves out. We can't fix the problems that we, we face. Um, the United Nations and before that the League of Nations have tried and people have tried over and over again to try and fix things, to try and sort out difficulties. Uh, the, the, the world has tried to bring unity between different races and different classes. And yet what we are finding is that the world is more fragmented than ever before. There seems to be more hatred than ever before because we're not able to fix it on our own. We need someone else to come in, sort things out. Uh, verse 2 of this passage in, in chapter 9 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And we are told that this area is called Zebulun and Naphtali. Now they are one of the, or two of the, the tribes of Israel. And they were each given pieces of land. Uh, in the Old Testament, God called Abraham. He created a nation for himself, the Jewish nation. There were these 12 tribes. God gave them uh, a promised land, the land of Canaan. And it was divvied up into these different areas. And each tribe, except for the Levites, was given land. And Zebulun and Naphtali were given this land that is to the, to the north of Israel, around the, the Lake of Galilee, the area where Jesus actually started his ministry. Now what's important about these, this, this area is that whenever Israel was invaded, it was through that area that the conquering nations would come. They would always come in from the, from the north, from that side. So they were the first, the first uh, people to, to be attacked. It was not a nice place to live if, if you were under attack. They were being attacked. Uh, the Assyrians actually conquered this whole area in 722 BC. And what they did is, uh, this was the way that they ruled, they would try and dilute the populations. Uh, so to try and break patriotism and nationalism, what they would do is bring in people from other, other countries, other nations. And so 
they brought people from the surrounding areas that they had conquered so that they would intermarry. And they brought with them all their pagan philosophies, all their ungodly worldviews. And that's why the northern kingdom had so much confusion and so much difficulty. And remember when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan lady, uh, Jesus says, you know, you, you don't know what you're about. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay? Uh, you don't understand. And that's really where men and women and the world find itself right now. We are surrounded by pagan philosophies. We are in darkness, ungodly thinking. All the time... Uh, in Johannesburg, at university, on the TV, magazines, radio, we are bombarded with ungodly secular worldviews or ungodly false religions. Men and women are in darkness, a spiritual darkness. Uh, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to, to come. It was so bad that this area was called Galilee of the Nations, which literally means Galilee of the Gentiles. It was no longer even seen as as Jewish. Galilee of the Gentiles. It was so full of ungodly pagan philosophies. Uh, And that's exactly where we find ourselves. And none of these philosophies can deal with our biggest problems. But all of us are longing for a counsellor. I did some research and found that, uh, at least in America, there has been a massive increase in people visiting therapists. A huge increase in in the desire for therapy. People wanting counsel. And I'm not here to knock therapy or anything like that. I'm simply trying to say that men and women are longing for some sort of counsel. Their lives are falling apart, especially in the last couple of years. So many people experiencing terrible depression suicide rates increasing, Uh, media therapy, uh, sort of psychologists and gurus on social media, people are flocking to hear what they have to say. What does that show about us? There is something in us that we realize that there's something wrong, I need help. Is there someone who can tell me what I need to do? I need counsel. In fact, one uh, one article says many of my clients joke that they and their co-workers often start conversations with my therapist thinks. Okay? Uh, it used to be that was a shameful thing to say. Now it's a common thing, even a, 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 bar, a, you know, a, a badge of honor. My therapist says this, my therapist says that. It shows that there is something within men and women longing for counsel. There is a sense we're in darkness, I need help. The sad part is that people are still looking for counsel everywhere, but from the wonderful counselor. There is one who has come already. The light of the world, the one who has come into this darkness, all this confusion and error, and he is the wonderful counselor. It's not that Jesus just comes and dispenses wisdom. The Bible says that he has become to us wisdom. He is wisdom. He's not here just to give us some life hacks, 10 steps to a better marriage or how to, you know, how to get your business going and all of those things. He's come to give us true wisdom. He's come to give us himself. And so this term here, wonderful counselor, wonderful speaks to the fact that he, it's, he is supernatural. 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Lela looked at Judges chapter 13, and that's where the same word is used there. Remember that the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? We need someone to come from outside, someone supernatural, someone not from this realm to come and give us the answers, to come and give us wisdom, true wisdom that can remove the darkness. And Jesus Christ is that one who has come. He is wonderful. He is supernatural. He is God. As the next name, next title says, mighty God. He has come. And that's what we're remembering at this time of the year in a special way. The incarnation. That someone from the heavenly realm, the second person of the Trinity, has entered into our realm, took upon himself flesh. And he came into this realm of darkness. It is interesting to note Jesus' ministry. He sets up his headquarters in Capernaum, which is this area, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where he does most of his ministry. And you can see that things are really rotten because uh, everyone in those areas, well, you find that that many people are demon-possessed. You don't find demon possession in Jerusalem. You find it in these areas. As, As satanic, ungodly worldviews have been brought in and people have been seduced and given into these these false worldviews their lives have been destroyed and jesus sets up his headquarters right there in the darkness and that's the good news if you're in darkness right now if you're not a christian that's where you find yourself or even as as god's children we go through seasons of darkness where where perhaps we're not close to to christ we're not receiving his counsel We're not listening to what he has to say. The good news is he came into darkness. He came to those who who are unwell. He is the, the great physician. He is supernatural. He is wonderful. He is not restricted by our human limitations. He brings the counsel that only God can give. James tells us in James chapter 3, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So what does that mean? If you have true wisdom, it's going to impact the way that you, you live. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. You see that? That comes from heaven. That is supernatural. But is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Maybe just take a moment to examine your own life. Which, you know, does that describe your life? Is your life full of jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, vile practices? What does that mean? It means you're you're not receiving the wisdom that comes from above. You're receiving the wisdom that comes from below. The worldly wisdom. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above, Christ, is first pure. 
pure, it's good, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Are you teachable? Are you unteachable? Are you proud? Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Are you full of partiality? You like one group more than another? You show favoritism? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's a wonderful description of Christ. The wisdom that has come from above. He is pure. He is the peacemaker. He came to bring peace. We'll see that. He is the Prince of Peace. Full of mercy. Good fruits. Wherever the Lord Jesus Christ went. Impartial. Not influenced by people's statuses. It doesn't mean, you know, some people think, I'm not partial, I just, I just hate everyone. <laughs> that's, not, you know, that's not what we're talking about. I just don't like anyone, so I'm impartial. Okay. No. It's to love everyone. It's to care for everyone, even your enemies. Okay. Is that what characterizes you? You see, that's, that's Christ. The wisdom that is from above. This wonderful counselor who has come down. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. See, what is the great example of, of the wisdom of God is the gospel. I think one of the great takeaways for this, this time, especially as, as many people think on Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ, is to, to really, again, marvel at Christ coming in weakness. For unto us a child is born. Such weakness. It doesn't seem possible that this, this little child is has all these titles. How is that possible? How is it, as, as the, the wise men say, we've come to see him born king of the Jews, but he's just a little baby. How is he going to help us? He didn't even live very long, 33 years, in a, in a backwater of the Roman Empire. He didn't even have an army. He had nothing. Started with 12, ended up with 11. Failed, failed, humanly speaking. Everyone left him when he needed them most. Naked, alone, spat upon, humiliated. It's no wonder people think the gospel is foolishness. It's a stumbling block. It's ridiculous. It's offensive. He doesn't have pomp and ceremony. He doesn't have worldly status. He doesn't have worldly power. All the things that we look for. And so if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, the gospel is, is stupid, it's foolishness, I can't accept that. You're accepting, you're, you're rejecting the wisdom of, of God. First Corinthians chapter 3, in the, the message paraphrase, and it's important to say, it's not a translation, so it's not... Not a Bible, it's, it's uh, Eugene Peterson's understanding. It's like reading a commentary. Okay? But yes, he interprets it in this great way. He says, don't fool yourself. 
Don't think that you can be wise merely by being relevant. Be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in Scripture. He exposes the hype of the hipsters. The master sees through the smoke screens of the know-it-alls. In the world, everyone is trying to uh, portray that they've got it together, that they that they, they, they're, they're hip, they're cool, they're clever, they're wise. Um, listening to an audio book at the moment, it talks about how things have shifted recently in the West. Not recent, that recently, in the last sort of hundred years. In the West, from people actually being concerned about actually being good. So actually having character and integrity. The concern now is, as long as I look good, that's the obsession. What, how do others perceive me? I need to look good. I need to work on my image. I need to, to work on, on how I'm projecting myself to others. That's the big concern. So that everyone else simply becomes an audience. Instead of people made in the image of God that I'm to love and care for. You're simply my audience. The Bible teaches, no, that's not the big concern, not the external. It's about being good on the inside, about having true character as the Holy Spirit works in your life, as you become more and more like Christ. In fact, it's become so bad now that we're cynical about anyone being actually good. Isn't that right? Now, we're a Reformed church. We believe in total depravity. But we must never become cynical that real change is possible through the gospel, that people can actually become better. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You can't just keep saying, oh, well, I'm just human. I'm the, you know, that's total depravity. That's just the way it is. We're just all terrible and useless. No, that becomes an excuse for sin. Isn't that right? People can actually change. Don't believe that lie that you just give in. Oh, well. We're all bad. The unbelievers do that. Paul says that. Always excusing themselves or accusing others. You just excuse yourself. Oh, we're all human. We all blow it. So we all feel good in our self-pity and we're all terrible. No, the Bible holds out something better. You can really change. Not self-righteousness. But no, I can, I can, I can fight this sin by God's grace and I can overcome Slowly but surely, not as fast as we would like. Don't be obsessed with looking good, looking wise. Working on your social image and all of those things so you look good, look wise, look like you've got it together. But there's no heart change. You don't know the wonderful counselor. You're not listening to him. You're not receiving his wisdom that actually changes, that actually brings forth wonderful fruit. The term here for counselor also means someone, not just someone who, who brings wisdom, but someone who has the power to, to bring his plans to pass. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in control. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He is the wonderful counselor who has determined what will happen and it will happen. He is in absolute control. 
Now, what am I saying? Am I saying that uh, the world has nothing correct to say that they're wrong on everything? We should go and throw out any maths textbooks written by unbelievers. Uh, we should go and, you know, you should cancel your class if your teacher is not a Christian at university. No, it's not, not what we're saying at all. We're not talking about knowledge and learning. We know that all men and women are created in the image of God and that all truth is God's truth. But we're talking about wisdom. We're not against learning and knowledge, but wisdom. As one pastor put it, wisdom to be able to deal with these three issues. These are the fundamental issues. Facing death, living with yourself, and forgiving others. Facing death, living with yourself, and forgiving others. There is only one worldview, there is only one counselor who can solve all of those problems. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. No other worldview, no other philosophy, no other ideology can come close. How to face death. I read a, an article in Psychology Today. They call it Terror Management Theory. Suggests that a large part of all human behavior is generated by unconscious fear of death. This fear generates a fundamental anxiety and unease, which we try to offset with behavior such as status seeking or strongly defending the values of our culture. We feel threatened by death and so seek security and significance to defend ourselves against it. Studies have shown, for example, that when people are made more aware of their own mortality, they tend to become more nationalistic and tribal and more materialistic. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what we're finding? Even in the church, becoming so tribal, nationalistic. What is it? That's, not, that's not an answer to the problem of death. The good news is the church has the gospel. There's so much death around the last few years. I know many people say, oh, it's nothing, it's just a flu and all of those things. Well, I, in all my life, I've never known so many people to die. Okay? I know people are dying all the time. But I've never seen it. so many people, knowing people who have lost eight family members in a few months. I know several people like that. If you're not aware of death happening, then you're blind. People are dying. How, how, how are you going to face that? Just put it out of your mind. Just hope there's reincarnation. No evidence for that whatsoever. It's just a fun thing. C.S. Lewis writes this as, as, uh, in his screw tape letters as the demon screw tape. How much better for us if all humans died in costly nursing homes amid doctors who lie, nurses who lie, friends who lie, as we have trained them, promising life to the dying, encouraging the belief that sickness excuses every indulgence, and even if our workers know their job, withholding all suggestion of a priest, lest it should betray to the sick man his true condition. And how disastrous for us is the continual remembrance of death which war enforces. One of our best weapons, contented worldliness, is rendered useless. 
In wartime, not even a human can believe that he is going to live forever. Notice what he's saying there. How do people try and face death? It's through lies, isn't it, right? No, you'll be fine. You'll recover. Don't worry. You'll be fine. You've got nothing to worry about. You, no, you're, you're fine. I was thinking of... Um, uh, just this morning, thinking of a, a series. I hope I get it right. I could be... My, my memory could be wrong. You can correct me afterwards if I'm, if I'm wrong. But uh, there's that famous series, Band of Brothers, based on a true story. And... Um, uh, and then they made a, a documentary where they interviewed some of the soldiers who actually were, were the, 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 the series was based upon. And this man goes to the, to the cemetery, the military cemetery, you know, with, uh, I think it's in, in, in the States, full of rows and rows of, of tombstones, gravestones. And he finds the gravestone of one of the, the, his fellow soldiers, and this man is probably in his 80s, maybe in his 90s. And he goes there and he, he starts crying. It's very emotional. And then he turns to his family and he says this, Tell me I'm a good man. Isn't that incredible? Tell me I'm a good man. He knows he's also going to end up there in the ground. He doesn't have long left. He's in his 90s. He's frail. What? He's afraid. What's his hope? Tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've been good enough. Tell me I've been a good husband. All of those things. Somehow, let me feel good about myself. And that's what people do when people are on death. No, you're a good person. You've been good enough. No, the Bible says, no, you haven't. Every human being will die. You will face death. How are you able to face it? You can put it out of your mind. You can make jokes about it. You can do all of those things. But you will face it. It will catch up with you. If you think, no, no, I'm, I'm, I, you know, hopefully my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. No, that's not how it works. No legal system functions like that. Try that. I dare you. Go rob a car. <laughs> Get arrested. See if you can say, but judge... For however many thousand days I lived, I never stole a car. It was just this one day. See if he says, oh, that's good. Your good deeds way out, you know, far outweigh your bad ones. That's fine, okay. Uh, you don't have to go to jail. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't atone for your sin because your sin is primarily against God. David says that. Against you and you only have I done this evil. David had sinned against everyone. Sinned against his wife, sinned against his children, sinned against his parents, sinned against the nation of Israel. But it pales into insignificance. He realized that's nothing. I've sinned against God. All of our sin is primarily against God. How will you face death? Hebrews 2.15 says, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so I also want to say, in the world that we live in at the moment, with the pandemic, all of those things, we want to be wise, we want to be careful, all of those things, we want to care for others, it's right, it's proper. But don't live with a fear of death. If you're God's child, you're okay. It's not nice. I'm not saying that one should uh, be happy about the way one dies or nothing, or be, not be afraid of the way one might die. That's a different thing. But death itself... 
doesn't have a hold on God's people because our sin is dealt with. That's why I love that the scriptures, when it talks about saints dying, it says they fell asleep. Remember the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is taken by angels into, into Abraham's bosom. It's, it's this glorious transition. Don't live with a fear of death. Why don't I have to have a fear of death? Because the reason, the thing that causes my death, my sin is dealt with. And that's the next thing. What? I need this wisdom. I need Christ. This is the wisdom I need. It can help me to face death. And how to live with myself. How, how can you live with what you have done? How do you get up in the morning? All of us have done terrible, terrible things. Abortions, affairs, fornication, abuse, violence, bullying, lying, blasphemy, looked at horrific, vile things on the internet, dishonored God, full of self-righteousness, like an ugly cancer. How do you live with yourself? How do you face yourself in the mirror? The world says, well, you need to forgive yourself. It's even crept into the church. You need to forgive yourself. The Bible never teaches that. You need to forgive yourself. That's what, I, I did research. What does that mean? Well, first of all, they never use the word sin. They simply say mistake. The Bible says, no, you've sinned. You've broken laws. It's not a mistake. A mistake is when you've got a multiple choice question and you tick the wrong one by mistake. <laughs> okay? That's a mistake. Sin is, is breaking God's law. And what are the answers that they, the world gives us? How do I deal with that? Well, don't think about it. That's what they say. Don't think about it. Another one is, well, it's somebody else's fault. So become the victim. No, well, the reason, the reason you behave like that is because of your parents. Or because of your spouse. Because of the company that you work for. Or your church. It's your church's fault. Whatever it is. But that doesn't cut it. It doesn't deal with, with justice. You have broken the law. God's law. How are you going to make that right? Just, just a, a new aspect of this verse really stood out this morning for me. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it interesting that, that John puts there, and just? It seems counterintuitive. As I just said, a, a judge that, that forgives a car thief, we, we would never say they're just. We'd say they're unjust. Yeah, John says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful, he will forgive you, but he's just and he will forgive you. How can God be just? How can, how can he be righteous and forgive me of all, those, all the terrible things I've, I've, I've done? Not just done, but the terrible things I've thought. 
and the terrible things that I, that I, that I, I, I did, but also the things that I should have done that I didn't do. So I should have done the right thing in this situation and I, I, I didn't do it. Should have said something in this situation, but I didn't do it. Well, he remains just because he came to the earth and at Calvary, he took the place of sinners. So the fine is paid. That's why God can be just and forgive you and declare you righteous so that you can look at yourself in the mirror, not full of arrogance or I'm actually amazing and all of those things. No, but I'm forgiven. Lord, you've forgiven me. I don't need to live with with this mountain of guilt upon me. Yes, I've done terrible things. Yes, I've broken your law. But because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you have that? It's only the wonderful counselor who can give us the wisdom to to face death and live with ourselves in spite of what we've done. And then lastly, he's the only one who's able to give us the wisdom to forgive those who've sinned against us. It's not that forgiveness is unique to Christianity. It's just that forgiveness only makes sense and is only possible because of Christ. You can't atone for someone else's sin. You can't forgive them and remove their guilt as though they never did it. You can't do that. You're not God. God can do that though. Over and over again in Scripture, whenever it tells us to forgive, it links us to the forgiveness that is is ours in Christ. One example, Ephesians 4 verse 32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. People will hurt you. People will sin against you in terrible ways. I know many of your stories. Terrible, terrible, horrific things. And we don't give foolish wisdom like, well, just forgive them. It doesn't matter. You know, just, just don't think about it. Or some religions just teach, get revenge. Okay? And just go and kill them. <laughs> uh, do that to them. No? How are you going to forgive? Again, it's only looking to the wonderful counselor. How am I able to forgive those who've hurt me? Because I've been forgiven. And my sin is infinitely worse. My sin has been against God. I sin against God every day, unfortunately. And that's why the scriptures again link to this fact. If you don't forgive others, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. What is that saying? It means you don't really understand God's forgiveness. You don't really understand that Lord, you've dealt with my sin. How can I hold on to that? You've forgiven my debt of trillions and trillions of dollars. How can I not forgive the debt of $20? 
But it's only again because of Christ. And so he is the wonderful counsellor, the supernatural counsellor, the God counsellor, the one who brings true wisdom, the wisdom that I need if I'm going to be able to face death, be able to deal with my own sin and live with myself and not go my whole life full of guilt and condemnation, trying to pretend everything's okay, trying to uh, you know, put the fig leaves on and, and put on a show or you know, hide the pain with other things. No, I'm truly forgiven and loved. And now I'm able to forgive others. People will hurt you, will sin against you. And now because of Christ, because of this wonderful counselor, I'm able to forgive. And lastly, as Christians, some application. You're a Christian. You have the mind of Christ. You have been changed. You're also able to counsel others. Paul says in in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another or admonish one another. You and I have a responsibility as well to counsel one another, to care for one another, to show people the truth in God's word. You can't make them believe it. You can't make them obey it. That's not not what we're called to do. The Lord does that work. But um, if you're a Christian, and notice what Paul says, you yourselves are full of goodness. If you're walking with the Lord, you're able to counsel others. Point them to to Christ. Point them to the wonderful counselor. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for, for your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is the wonderful counselor. He is uh, the one who has come from heaven. He is the God-man. He is wisdom. And we desperately need wisdom. Father. There is so much darkness and blindness and confusion in this world. So many competing voices Thank you for your still small voice, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are the the one who is able to give us victory over a fear of death. You are the one who is able to forgive us all our sins. That we are able to live this life without guilt, without condemnation. And you are the one who is able to help us to forgive those who have sinned against us, to not be full of bitterness and jealousy. And so, Father, we ask that you would work by your Spirit, that if there are any here or any watching who are in darkness, who are full of that fear of death, who are trying to cover it up by tribalism and materialism, trying to numb their senses through goodies and stuff, uh, becoming vitriolic and tribal and nationalistic and uh, just arguing for the sake of arguing and trying to feel that they belong somewhere. Lord, we pray that you would set them free, that you would show them the truth of the gospel, that you would liberate them, that they would live for something far greater than their tribe or their group or anything like that, but that they would live for you and your kingdom. 
which will last forever. And so please do this for your children who are battling with guilt, uh, sinful guilt, battling with condemnation, depression, despair. Oh Lord, please minister to them. Lord Jesus, be that wonderful counselor to them. May they know that their sins are forgiven, that if they confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them. And Lord, for any who are battling with bitterness, they've been wronged, maybe deeply wronged and hurt, help them to to remember Calvary. Help them to remember your love, Lord Jesus, and your forgiveness. So Lord, we ask that you to continue to be with us today. May we have a wonderful day of rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.